This morning, uh, we're going to jump in, and, and the teaching is kind of structured in two parts. I have one goal this morning, that I would like us as a community to be motivated to engage in the season of Lent. We'll talk about what that is in just a second. And um, to commit to reading through the gospel or the good news according to John. So hopefully as we move through this morning, that's, that's the way, the direction that we take as we leave this space. Um, and so let's, let's begin um, talking exclusively about Lent. If you didn't know, we're about to enter into the Lent season. And, and there's a phrase, an idea that I want to I put out to you. If you're taking notes, this is probably a great thing to write down. Um, Lent is a ritual that aligns us with God's redeeming and transformative work. Lent is a ritual that aligns us with God's redeeming and transformative work. Now, I wanna, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ideas in this statement that I want to work through um, and try to make my case for, for why that's true. Um, so let's, let's first focus on Lent, just talking about what that is. Lent uh, comes from um, a word in Latin that basically means 40th, and it represents you know, the, the time leading up to Easter as a celebration. And historically, the church has decided communally that, okay, what we'll do is we will give something up. So for you, if you're familiar with what Lent is, you know it, you might know it as, you know, the time, the 40 days leading up to Easter where God wants to speak to me, God has something for me, as long as I don't have soda. That's like how we think about it sometimes. Um, and that's, that's not really uh, the intention, that's not really the point. Um, Lent is, is a part of our Christian liturgy. And uh, liturgy is a, is a super churchy word that you probably, you may or may not be familiar with, but it comes from a Greek word, um, lei torgia, lei torgia, sorry, I had to look at that. Uh, lei torgia is, is this Greek word um, that I think is funny to, to say because I feel like when I say lei torgia, I'm like reading off of a menu at a Mexican restaurant trying really hard to pronounce it correctly. I'll have lei torgia uh, and uno burrito. Por favor, gracias. Um, it actually means the work of the people. That's what this Greek word means. Um, Lord, uh, uh, liturgia, the work of the people. And, and what it's talking about is the communal effort to do something to, like I said, align ourselves with God. All work that we do, anything that we consider work, is an investment of time and energy for a particular goal. That's what all of your work does. It's time and energy, an investment that you make towards a particular goal. So historically, traditionally, for the season of Lent, the work of the people is to say, here's what we're gonna do for these 40 days. We are going to, to alter, arrange, change our normal rhythm um, and maybe we do that by taking something away, maybe fasting in some form or, or removing something from, from our lives. But not just for the sake of removing something, it's, it's to replace it with, with an opportunity to connect with God, to focus on Him, um, to pray. And so uh, that's, that's kind of where we're at, that's where it's taken us, this rhythm. And it's a ritual. When we talk about liturgy, we're talking about rituals. Now, I don't know what your, what your feeling toward that word is. For me, I think I, I always hold the idea of ritual um, with, with a, like a negative connotation. If something is ritualistic, that's a critique. Um, 
that, that it's not very good. You know, I, I think of like, when I think of authenticity, that's the opposite of ritualistic. That, that we want authenticity. We want something to be authentic, to be real, not ritualistic. We don't want to just go through the motions. But I, I, as I've thought about it, I've realized that there's more to the idea, to the concept of ritual uh, that, that is actually a good thing, that it's a healthy thing, that it's an important thing in my faith and the faith of our community. Ritual is something that we do frequently um, to connect us to something important. So, for example, I asked my buddy Derek uh, the, other, the other day, what are some rituals that you have in your life? Things that you do frequently. And, um, and he said, you know, for, for me, every Valentine's Day, which is coming up, if you did not know that, you're welcome. Valentine's Day is, is a couple of days away. Every Valentine's Day, he's now married, he says, my wife and I get sushi. And I said, why, why is that your ritual? What is that thing? Well, how did that begin? Why do you do that? And he said, well, when we were dating, you know, it was Valentine's Day, and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do, and I suggested, you know, you want to go to dinner? Let's go get sushi. And she said to me, I n- I've never had sushi before. I've, I, I've never even tried it. And so he's like, oh, I love sushi. You've got to try this. So, so they order in sushi. They have it, you know, at their house. Um, and, and this is, you know, her, her first uh, try of sushi. She loved it. And so from that moment on, it became a ritual. Oh, we do this every single year. Why? Because from that first time, from that first experience, we wanted to remember that and become a ritual in our life. Um, and maybe, like I said, maybe you have weekly rituals or daily rituals. Are there any coffee drinkers in here? A couple people? Yeah, I, like, that's, my, that's my daily ritual. I wake up, I have to have coffee. It's a rhythm that I get into. And so ritual is, is a part of our lives. But, but not every ritual necessarily means that we have to do the same things all the time. For example, like we have, we have rituals um, in, in all of our lives just through our culture, like celebrating birthdays, for example. Everyone has a birthday. Um, in fact, I think I heard Esther Bailey has a birthday today, and she's 89. So congratulations. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, you should go give her a high five and hug and say happy birthday. Um, but, uh, we, you know, for when, when a birthday occurs... It's, it's a celebration. It's a ritual where you gather your friends, you gather your family, you come together to celebrate a person. And, and all of a sudden, someone brings out a cake and they start to sing these words, happy. And I promise you, no matter, no matter where you are, everyone knows the lyrics to that song, happy birthday. No one's like, happy. What's, what's the next word? Has a song? I don't know the song. How's the song go? No, everybody knows the song because it's a ritual of our community. It's what we do. And so, um, so ritual is around us. I think about like um, an anniversary, for example. That's a ritual. It's something that, that occurs every single year. Now, I don't do the same thing. My wife and I, you know, we got married in May. And when we celebrate our anniversary, it, we don't like, oh, we do this exact same thing. But the fact that every single year there's a day dedicated to remembering something from our past, that's a ritual. And so I think about like, you know, we've been married uh, for seven years, coming on eight years now. And, uh, and I remember that first anniversary, the one-year anniversary. We'd been, we got married in May, and we, we finished a year. And, and by finishing a year, we became experts in marriage. We knew everything there was to know. And, uh, and I remember looking at the date ahead and saying, oh, our anniversary is coming up. And I wanted this to be a super special moment. Like, 
oh, we made a year. Like, let's remember the day that we committed ourselves to each other. That's amazing. Like, it's, it's exciting. So we planned this amazing day. We went out to, to dinner, and then we decided to do a gift exchange. And, and we put a lot of thought into it. And so I remember uh, doing this gift exchange. It was so special, and I'm, and I'm passing off my, my gift to Leah. And I said, oh, I, I have to begin by apologizing. I'm so sorry. I, I only started working on this six months ago, so you have to give me some grace. Um, but, but if you're willing to do that, like, you're going to see that this, it's, it's a scrapbook that I put together, and it's 6,000 pages long because it has a poem for every time I thought of you in the year. And, um, and as you flip through it, you'll notice that the paper itself is this really impressive, rare paper. It's made from a tree in Egypt that's now extinct as of today. Um, and, and I just, I wanted to do this so that you have it because I love you because this is, you know, our anniversary. I, I love you. That was our first anniversary. And then all of a sudden, like, the years pass, and year one, and year two, and year three, and then, like, you get into a new stage of anniversaries that, like, your, I guess your commitment is a little bit different, and what was, like, this significant moment you were preparing for, it all of a sudden becomes, oh, hey, babe, my phone told me that uh, today's our anniversary, and uh, I, I was on the way home, and so I bobbed into CVS. I got you this card. Uh, it, it says, my condolences. I'm sorry, it was from the sympathy section. They didn't have anything in the, uh, in the anniversary section. But, like, you get the point, right? I love you. Happy anniversary. Like, that, there's something changes. Like, the excitement can kind of wear down its ritual that occurs and occurs and occurs. But all of a sudden, I've realized, like, oh, my posture can change through that ritual that it's something I do, trying to establish and connect me to, to, to something in my past. But, but my posture is almost like I'm on autopilot. Because the reality of what ritual is supposed to do is to, is to connect us with something significant in our past. No ritual exists that, that wasn't established by saying this thing in your, this moment, this time in your life was so important that you need to remember it. And you need to remember it in a very specific way. Every ritual we have connects us to something significant in our past. But for me, as I go through a ritual, sometimes, like, I forget that. And I know what's coming. I know what you're supposed to do. But maybe mentally and even emotionally, I'm on autopilot. Like, I go through it. But, but it's like, you know, this, it's, it's taking me a direction. I'm, I'm going that way. You know, but I'm, I'm asleep at the wheel, so to speak. And I think that's sometimes what rituals do for us. We become so, so a part of our, our, our rhythm, so established in what we do, that we can lose the, the meaning, the significance about why we started doing that thing in the first place. And maybe you feel this way about Lent. Maybe you don't, and that's great. But maybe you feel like Lent, oh, okay, yeah, Lent, it's coming up. I get it. It's the thing you do. It's the thing we do. And you do this and you do that, and then Easter's over, and yay, we did it. Congratulations, us. And, and it loses the power. It loses the significance. Or maybe you've never engaged in Lent at all. You're like, wait, this is completely new to me. I've never even heard about this. Either way, here's what I believe we need to do. We need to go back. We need to discover or maybe rediscover that significant moment that this ritual connects us to, remembering why it was established in the first place so that it carries the weight and the power of why we do it today. And that's the next part of this, the idea of aligning us, that Lent is a ritual that aligns us with God. 
It's about saying, okay, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to invest myself, the work of the people, so to speak, because I want to align myself with God. So in order to do that, what is this moment? What is this sacred thing? What's the reason that we remember this? How do we find that? We have to look at the life of Jesus. So in the Gospel of Matthew, it says this, uh, a passage, uh, verse 17. After um, Jesus is baptized, he hears a voice from heaven, God speaking, saying this. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Other translations might read, with whom I am well pleased. God speaks an identity to Jesus. And in that identity, he tells him that he's loved, that he's a son, that he's pleased with him, that he delights in him. That is who he truly is. And he hasn't even done anything. This is before the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's not gone out, he's not taught, he's not healed. So why is it that, that, he, you know, that he needs to hear this? Well, right, right after God speaks this truth to him, this is who you are, this is who I've made you to be, I want you to know this about yourself. It says that then he goes off into the wilderness, into the desert for 40 days. And it's there that this identity that he's received from God is going to be tested there's going to be surroundings and circumstances and voices that will plant a seed of doubt in him that makes him wonder, am I really who God says I am? And we just finished a series uh, called Focus, and it's, and it's all been through um, the Lord's Prayer. And last week, Matt talked about temptation, the, the ways that we're tempted, the things that we fall into. Ultimately, that comes back to identity. Who are you? Are you, are you who God says you are? Do you believe that? And that's why I think, you know, as we, as we engage in the season of Lent, these 40 days, the question becomes, um, what do these 40 days have to offer us? What do they have to offer Jesus? And how did he spend these 40 days? In order to establish himself and, and within his identity, in, um, amidst all of the, the, the challenges, amidst all the testing that he was going to receive, how did he, how did he endure? How did he spend his time? What did these 40 days produce in him? And, and what was his practice? Well, there's two things. There's fasting and praying. Jesus spent these 40 days fasting and praying, removing something and replacing it in order to align himself with God. So here's, that's the same question for all of us. What can happen in 40 days for you? Not just a story that's disconnected, something that we refer back to. No, what can 40 days produce in you? 40 days is coming. It's, there's a date on the calendar, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. The better question is, well, what can it offer you? Will you receive what it has? And I think that the way, the way we process that is how we engage in the Lent season. So here's the next part. We talk about Lent as a ritual, aligning us, but what's that for? What's the reason? It's so that we can experience, so that we can receive God's redeeming and transformative work. We all need that in our lives. We all have issues. We all have challenges. We want God's redeeming and transformative work. And we spend our 40 days similarly to what Jesus was doing, asking the same question. Do I believe the identity I've received from God? So here's a question for you for the next 40 days. Who are you? Who are you? 
Now, the way that we answer that question depends on like maybe the, the time or the season of life that we answer it in. So there's some things that are true about me that have always been true and will always be true of me that I could, I could, answer that, I could use to answer that question. You know, who are you, Matt? Well, I'm a, uh, a white American male named Matt. That's going to always be true of me. There's a time where I would have added handsome into there and then God said no. But I, I feel like that, that, that's something I could, I could tie myself to. Those are true. That's always been true of me. Then there are other things that are true of me but ha- and, and have, uh, have been true of me for a long time or will be true of me for a long time. Like, Matt, who are you? Oh, well, I'm a Christian. I haven't always been a Christian, but I, I plan to be a Christian for a very long time. Matt, who are you? I'm, I'm a husband. I haven't always been a husband, but I, I plan to be a husband for a very long time. Who are you, Matt? Well, I'm a father. I haven't always been a father, but I, I, I plan to be a father for a very long time. And there's, there's those things that are very stable in our lives, those identities that we hold on to. Who are you? I'm going to pull from one of these things because that's it's stable. I, that's who I am, right? Well, absolutely. But not everything in life is so stable. There's changes all the time. Our relationships change. Even if you maintain a relationship with someone a year from now, that relationship is going to be different. There's changes all the time in our relationships. Your circumstances change. You might have everything together and all of a sudden things fall apart. Your perspectives might change. You might encounter something that challenges the way that you think and you might need to reevaluate that. Our emotions change. Our emotions change daily. So when we answer the question, well, who are you, and we only hold on to the things that, that are pretty like long withstanding, we, what, what do we do with the change? What, how does that factor into who we are? Because who you are today is who you are. So where does that come from? How do we process that? How do we wrestle with that? Because all of that has to do with God's redeeming and transformative work amidst the change. When change happens, God wants to bring redemption and transformation. And so that's the question I think we ask for Lent. Who am I, God? What are the ways that I need you to speak into my life? The things that I need, redemption, transformation, uh, maybe, maybe I've been uh, against listening to you. Maybe I've like, put my blinders on. Maybe I've plugged my ears. Maybe there's things that you're trying to say to me, and I'm just not letting you say them, or I'm not open to receiving them. What better way to navigate all of that than by saying, for 40 days, in, in a rhythm, in a ritual, as a community, we're going to align ourselves with God and be willing to ask those questions. Just as Jesus, who was in the desert, whose identity was tested for 40 days, we'll endure something similar and we'll process and we'll evaluate because we want to benefit from this ritual. We don't want it to just be something that we do and we certainly don't want to be stuck on autopilot. So here's what we're going to do. In a minute, we'll talk more about the Gospel of John. We'll get there. Um, but we're, we're actually going to take a pause and, and we're going to um, have an opportunity to take communion together. So you don't need to get up. You don't need to move. In fact, I'll ask um, the ushers to make their way um, to, to distribute those trays. So when they come your way, you can, you can take the elements, um, the bread and the cup, and maybe just hold on to that because then we can take it together as a community. Um, and the worship team is, is going to play through um, a song. And, and as you take the elements and as you, as you uh, listen to the words of the song, as you sing it yourself, 
um, use this as an opportunity to reflect and ask the question, God, what is the thing that you have for me this Lent season? What is, what is the thing that 40 days can offer me if I'm willing to, to ask? What are, what are the ways that your spirit can move and speak in me if I'm just open to it? So as, as the, the ushers pass those elements and as we reflect, um, I, I pray that, that God's spirit will be speaking to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, this opportunity, a moment to pause, to come to the table, the table that, that, you, that you've uh, placed your disciples at. And, um, and we do that because you know, we take these elements, the bread and the cup, as a symbol that you have aligned yourself to be with us. And so our posture is humility and gratitude, God. Speak to us what it is you have for us today. Amen. Okay, let's talk about John. We've been working our way that, that direction. Um, but what we've decided, um, because Lent, the season of Lent is, is not only an individual, but a communal experience, the question has been, well, what can we do as a community, all together, um, to align ourselves with God, to, to receive what he has for us for the next 40 days? And one of the ways that we wanted to do that was to say, let's work through um, the good news, according to John. Let's, let's read these stories um, for the next 40 days. And in order to do that, I actually think we need to be beginning with the end. Uh, there's a passage in John chapter 20 that actually is, um, is kind of a summary of why, why the text exists, why it was written down in the first place. It says this at the end of the, of the story, at the end um, of the text, John writes, but these things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John makes it very clear the intention, the purpose, the reason that he wrote these stories down. And they've been preserved. They've been protected for a long time. The fact that we have the gospel according to John, the good news according to John in our hands today is an indicator that these stories were protected, that they were preserved, that they were important. And they're stories of people who had interactions with Jesus. These, are, these stories are, are moments, they're memories, they're experiences of the people that knew him best. Now we all have memories in our lives. We have moments that we like to hold on to maybe of times with friends or family or children. Those are things that we keep fresh in our minds. And I believe that by doing that, by holding on to memories, we're, we're doing more than that. We're actually creating something. The memories, the stories that we hold on to, the stories that we tell actually form us. They create something within us. So here's a reality I think we need to accept today. Communities, a community is what, nothing more than a giant family, communities are formed by the stories that they tell, the stories that we tell, that we pass on from generation to generation. Those stories, they shape us, they form us. And that's true in, in your own life, the stories that you hold on to, the memories that you have, that you pass on, that you love to share. They're creating something. They're creating a bond. They're creating a path to follow. 
I have, um, I, I went to school in Anderson, Indiana, a small school out there for my undergrad. And I loved the school. Uh, I loved my time there, my education. I made a lot of great friends. I don't ever want to step foot in Anderson, Indiana ever again. Uh, that place doesn't have the sun. And, uh, and I think you need the sun to survive. So I don't want to go back there. But I loved, I loved my time in, in Indiana because of, of the relationships that I formed. Um, I was an RA in our, in our dorm. I was an RA resident assistant for two years, which gave me power, which I abused, unfortunately. I was like, power hungry, yeah, you have to listen to me. I'm the boss. You're in trouble. I don't know, it's, it's dumb. I look back on that and I realize I was stupid. But I, uh, I was an RA for two years. And the good thing about that is that as I was an RA, there were all the other RAs stayed on for the second year as well. And in those two years, we formed such a great bond. Like we became absolute best friends. And even to this day, like I'm still best friends with them. And, and even though we live all across the United States, Michigan, Indiana, Utah, Arizona, Ohio, like we're kind of everywhere. We still, to the best of our ability, get together every year just to hang out, just to be with each other because we're important people in each other's lives. We've built a family, a community over time. And that family is, is formed by the stories that we tell. So as, as we're RAs and, uh, and fulfilling our responsibilities, as our friendship is growing, um, a couple of, of us uh, get girlfriends. And so one of my buddies, one of my best buddies, uh, got a girlfriend um, named Kendra. And I hated Kendra, um, not as a person, I just hated her personality and uh, my time with her any moment. Um, I really felt like she was a terrible girlfriend, and I was right. And so uh, <laughs> the, re the reality is, like, I had to navigate this, this, this tension because this is my best friend. He's a part of our group. I love him. And, and like, and this girlfriend, I just thought, like, she was a terrible girlfriend, and, and she, she made it really difficult on him because she wouldn't want him to hang out with us ever. She, like, anytime he wanted to hang out with us, she was like, no, you shouldn't do that. You should can't come and hang out with me. And even though he did that, even though he listened to her, he was always telling us, like, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, know, I really want to be with you guys. And we're like, well, why don't you then ditch her? Like, we don't, we don't need her. Like, come on, come on, come back. And, and it, it just, she just had a power over him. And this relationship, I thought, was so unhealthy. And so all of us were really frustrated. This group, my best friends, you know, we were, all, we were all feeling it. We were angry. We were bothered. And so sometimes what we would do um, is we would kind of gather in a room together and try to process our emotions in a healthy way. So we would just vent for like hours with, like about all of our frustrations, the things that we didn't like, specifically about Kendra. And um, <laughs> it was a healing process, probably not a good idea, but it felt good at the time. And so uh, I remember one time in particular, we're all in this room and, uh, and I'm just so angry because we're, we're all going to go do something fun and he and Josh can't come to it. And so I'm, I'm really angry. and Everyone's angry. We're talking in my room, in my dorm room, and, and everyone's sharing their thoughts. And I see Josh, like the, my door's open. I see him coming down the hallway. So I tell everyone, oh, guys, we got to stop talking about this. Josh is, is coming. So everyone stops talking and he walks in the room. And when he walks in the room, he knows like something's happening because we've clear, we're all sitting down in a circle. We've been talking for a while. So he asks, 
Like, oh, hey guys, what, what's up? What are you guys talking about? And in this moment, I think I overcoached myself because I, I said in my mind, I was like, don't say Kendra, don't say Kendra, don't say Kendra, don't say Kendra. And for some reason, because I was so adamant in my mind, my answer was, we're talking about Kendra. <laughs> I seriously just said it just like that. And, and my buddy Josh, he like looks at me and like the look on his face is how anyone would look like, why, why are you talking about my girlfriend? Like, what? that doesn't seem like a good thing. And so in, like, as I said it, I, I, I process what I just said. And I l- look around the room, all the guys are like looking at me like, why did you say that? <laughs> Don't say that. Why would you do that? And, and so I'm trying to think of a way to fix this, to like, be witty or charming or like, you know, steer it to another course or even just lie. That would have been better. I couldn't think of anything. My mind just went blank. My mind went to, a, to the state that it was in before God imagined my existence. I had nothing to say. I could like, I froze. I completely froze. And I just, I was like, I, I had nothing to say. And so one of my buddies tried to like save me and he's like, oh, well, we're, we're just talking about like, you know, everyone's relationships and oh, you know, Kyle and Laura's relationship and we're at a stage of life when, you know, we're just processing what's good. What's, I don't know, whatever he said, it was his way of like trying to save me. And he embodied Jesus in that moment because I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. I, but he didn't really buy it. I could tell like, oh man, obviously, you know, whatever you guys were talking about was negative. So he leaves the room, and, and I realize, oh, I, I, have to, I have to go talk to him. Like, I have to go tell him. I have to apologize. And you know, so I did. I, I go to his room, and I'm like, hey, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, we, we were talking about Kendra and, you know, all of our frustrations, and, and I realize that's not healthy, and I care about you. The reason you know, the frustrations come because I care about you, but I realize, you know, I'm not really processing that in a healthy way. I should have gone to you and talked about it. And that was a really, really good moment for us because, you know, there was that tension that was building and it created separation. And so that moment, you know, even though I didn't want it to happen, even though I wish I would have said something different, it actually brought us closer together. Um, and so a couple months passed and thank God they broke up and because it was a terrible relationship. But, um, but we learned something through that. Our, our community, our group of friends, we learned like, you know, some, some of the ins and outs of our, of our interactions with each other and, you know, how to, how to support each other in a better way. But now when our friends get together, the reason I tell you that story is because that's one of the stories that formed our community. When we come together, we're excited to make new memories, to do new things, to build new experiences. But the first day when everyone flies into town and we all, you know, get together, it, every conversation starts with, hey, do you remember that one time? Do you remember that one time this thing happened? Hey, Matt, do you remember, do you remember that one time like you were like, oh, we're talking about Kendra. Oh, what an idiot. I hate you. Like, we were, like we start to share these stories. And it gets to the point where these stories are so familiar with everyone that it's like it, be, it belongs to them. It becomes their story. Oh, do you remember that one time you said, Kendra? Oh, yeah, yeah, let me tell you. Oh, no, 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 let me tell it. Let me tell. Oh, you, got, you, you always miss this one part. This was so funny. Everyone starts to take ownership of this story because it's the story that's forming our community. That's what stories do. They create something within us. So let's talk about Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And those sons had sons and sons and sons. Generations pass. 
And this family, this community also has a story. And they have stories that they tell. And for the sons of, the fa- of Father Abraham, the story begins like this. In the beginning, for these people, this community, the stories that form them, the stories that create them, the stories that they tell, they preserve, they pass down, starts with the beginning. And then it goes like this. In the beginning, God created. In the first line, the first page of the Bible, we learn that the start of everything, the origin of the universe, was caused by some sort of divine force. And that's how we're all here. But the story continues because it's not just a divine force. It's not just an energy that works to create things. We learn in, in Genesis chapter 12 this about their story, about our father Abraham, so to speak. The Lord had said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. The stories that shaped this community in the beginning, God created the divine force that set everything into motion, then came to Abraham, our father, our grandfather, our great-grandfather, our great-great-great-grandfather. These stories would circulate and pass down from generation to generation. This divine force, this energy is personal. It wants to know us. It came to Abraham with this message. I see you. I know you. I want to be known by you, and I want to bless you. And I also want to bless everyone. What an amazing story to hold on to, to preserve, to pass down. A story that you have to protect because it's important. It says something, something that we all need to know. So it's not strange when John begins his story like this. In the beginning, and with those three words, to begin John's text, everyone that was there, that was present, a part of this community, we would say, I know this story. I know this story. I know this one. You want to tell this one? You want me to tell this one? I get this. this is, oh, this is a good one. Here we go. But John takes a story that's familiar, but he tells it in a different way. In the beginning was the word. Whoa, wait. That's not how they tell a story. That's a different way. I don't, I'm not, what's going on here? John says this, look, these stories are important. They form us, but there's something you need to know. In the beginning, God created everything. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. Nothing that's been created was created outside of him. For John, he's trying to say, look, you know the story. You know the story, but there's something you need to know that you don't. Something that I have to tell you. Something that needs to shape our community. So here's the point. Here's what John is trying to do. And if you're taking notes, you can write this next thing down. Um, But there's something about the message. The good news according to John is a story. Stories that shape us. But it's been preserved and passed down with a very particular 
message. And here's what the message is. This is the thing. We'll leave it up so that you can write this down if you're taking notes because it's so important. John's intention, his text, his writing is to tell you this. The divine energy in the beginning that set the universe into motion in the beginning God created a story that you know, has introduced himself on earth as Jesus of Nazareth. In the beginning was the word. And why did he do this? He came to give you life. It's a story that's told and passed down because it's too important to let it die. It can't die. It has to move forward. The story must be told because that story is going to form the people who tell it. Now, here's, here's the re reality that I think that, that we need to, to come to terms with. You can't, you can't experience that. I, I can put those words on a screen. I can tell you why I think that's true. It won't mean anything until you wrestle with it until you put your fingers on the page, till you, till you read across and you, you learn of the stories of Jesus. The things that John says proves that this is true. And that's what we wanna do as a community. Let's read through the gospel of the good news according to John. Maybe you've read through that like 20 times. Maybe you have never read the Gospel of John. Maybe you've never read a page of the Bible. Either way, it doesn't matter. We as a community want to take this opportunity to use Lit the next 40 days to create something within us, to align ourselves with God, that we may see that the stories, the ministry, the life, the teachings of Jesus prove John's point, that he is the Messiah. He is God. Come to earth, the God from the beginning, the divine energy that set us all into motion, the personal God that came to Abraham is Jesus. And he wants us to know him. And he has something for us. And that something is life. So I invite you to stand up. I would love to pray for us and send us out in the spirit and the intention of the ritual of Lent. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you speak to us in the Gospel of John. If this is new to anyone, God, I pray that this is an opportunity to see something for the first time that shows them, that allows them to experience the goodness of who you say you are. God, if this is someone's 10th or 20th time, I pray that they find something new, something that speaks to them, that we, we use these 40 days wisely because we want to align ourselves with you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we enter into a season of Lent, we do so as a community. You're not alone. We want to do this together. And so the challenge is this. Will you accept this season? Will you make a commitment? Will you maybe subtract something from your life, replace it with an opportunity to connect with God? And will you read through the Gospel of John to see the reality that God wants you to see? He wants to know you through Jesus and he wants to give you life. We take these first steps together today. Blessings to you, we'll see you next week.